I've probably been traveling pretty consistently for about five years before I started to really get that I'm leaving money on the table. And it came with kind of watching the way one of my coworkers would um, accidentally use his travel credit card. <laughs> Welcome to Travel Tuesday Happy Hour. We're interview dope people doing dope things from around the world. And we are in season four, Voyage 22. But before we start, don't forget to subscribe, like, comment, and hit that notification bell so you know when the episodes drop. And today we have the amazing Yomi. Yomi, tell the people who you are. I am Yomi Togunde. I um, am a good friend of the Benjamins. I work as a forensic accountant, and I am a chief diversity officer, um, and I'm a mentor within the Royalty Project, and I also have um, my own coaching practice. I'm Coach Yomi, and I have a program called Reclamation, and to get y'all to wear relaxed and chill, we have Bougie Girl Gumdrops, and so that is my Delta 8 THC gummy product. Now, she wouldn't be African with so many, without so many hats. So we're going to actually get into that next. So where are you from? So I was actually born in Kentucky, mm -hmm. raised in Texas by way of Nigeria. So my parents are Nigerian. I'm a first-generation first American. Nice, nice. So when growing up, were you like threatened, I'm going to send you to Nigeria if you don't? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Okay. Yes. Apparently, that is the only place children are raised. <laughs> <laughs> And so, um, talking about like being in Nigeria, when was the first time that you went? Oh, wow. I was 19. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was um, after my maternal grandmother's passing. Oh, wow. And that was my mom's first time being back in Nigeria since she left in the 70s. Oh, so a little over 20 years for her. Mm -hmm. And so, um, that was the first time I went. We were there for about three weeks. Obviously, well, maybe not obviously, that was absolutely my first international trip. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it was it was incredible. I just remember having this moment when um, I went to meet my dad's family mm. and his sisters and seeing all of these versions of me. Oh, wow. Like, I'm, I was clear that these are my people. I came from these people. And I'd never experienced that before. Like, having, you know, just... There's something that's special and magical in just having family, mm. uh, blood family, and in those big celebratory spaces right. where it becomes home, even though, whether you've been there or not. And so that was my experience of, of um, Nigeria that first time in like family, just with that connectedness. It's a huge contrast to Texas. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, as so you're 19, you're pretty much an adult at that point. Have you traveled prior to you know, to Nigeria? The furthest I'd gone at that point was Disney World. Okay. With the drill team. Okay. <laughs> so you're 19 years old. You go to the motherland for the first time, your mother's and your father's land for the first time. Like, what was that experience like? I mean, it was uh, interesting. And actually, what I'll say is I think it was very um, foreshadowing. And that I know that there are a lot of children who would not have been able to handle that transition mm -hmm. from America to Nigeria with the level of grace that I did. Okay. Uh, and we, because we were everywhere. We went from, you know, the king, our raw at the time, he was a chief. My uncle who was a chief from his house to the villages, to the, you know, so, I mean, we were everywhere. In okay. some places, um, if, if we were fortunate, somebody was bringing our water in. <laughs> Definitely. In other places, we were just in front of a bucket, and that was what it was. Gotcha. Um, you know, and so it was, it was a very humbling experience, but I feel like, and again, this is why I said it was a bit foreshadowing, it made it clear to me that I didn't actually need a lot to be comfortable. No. You know, we are, look, I, I mean, look, I own a company called Bougie Pearl. I get it. 
But, you know, I think part of being able to appreciate and being as grateful as I am mm -hmm. is because I can exist in those spaces nice. and um, and still find comfort and always be surprised at how little you need to have a good time. Okay. So do you feel like this triggered your, like, the, the start of your desire to travel? No. So what's starting your travel desire? It was really kind of accidental. It was, for me, it was more curiosity. Okay. Um, work. So I got into accounting. Mm -hmm. And this was around the time of the Iraq War. Ooh. And, you know, there was like, I've always had like a political nature. And I remember when this was happening, wanting to just know for real what was going on. Okay. And I applied for a job at Halliburton um, immediately after graduating in 2003. And I did not get that job, no phone call, anything. And then I uh, became an internal auditor. And I needed a, I started looking for a job again. Halliburton called me for an internal audit position. Nice. So I went there. And it was amazing because in that role, I knew that I would be able to travel to everywhere there's a Halliburton office, right. Halliburton KBR office. So my first trip with KBR was to the Congo. Oh, wow. So I went to the Congo Republic. And the beautiful thing was we're there for two to three days, uh, two to three weeks. Right, right. So, you know, you're there for, and, and depending on your nature, I mean, me, I was out there hanging out. I made friends with the, with the ladies of the night. <laughs> Before you knew it, I was getting my hair done where they get their hair done. I was going out on dates with them and their old Italian boyfriends. And I was kicking it. I had a great time. But of course, I mean, that was kind of it was available to me because I was there on a project, you know, a project adjacent to where it was, you know, white, old white men, old white engineers working. So I was in what they called the white quarter. Mm. So like being in that space, but then also figuring out, okay, the only black women who are coming into this quarter are virtual women. Mm. And then so, but in that space, I also just developed a completely different appreciation for women who are working women, mm. sex workers, because, you know, we, we, in America, we have this like vision of it where it's this dirty, you know, thing that you do to fill your drug habit. And I'm like, these women are taking care of families and building homes. And I mean, look, you know, not everybody, obviously, but I, I was able to, to have a different appreciation that allowed me to move in those spaces without judgment mm -hmm. and have a really good time and see a country in a very different way than I would have been able to do otherwise. So, and that was my first trip was to Congo. And then I um, planned a layover through Paris because before I went, I started practicing my French. Mm -hmm. And then so from there, I did a layover to Paris and I was there mostly by myself. And, um, I think that was the time when I think John Legend had just had an album come out. I remember walking around that city, my um, my iPod, mm -hmm. so my iPod, like listening to this John Legend soundtrack. Like I'm in my own movie, but it was it was that was when I got it. Like you know, and that trip was so incredible. I mean, um, it taught me so much. One about the type of worker, employee, company representative I want to be. Um, a man died of a heart attack. One of our primary contacts during that audit died of a heart attack while we were there. And I literally took the last picture of that man while he was alive um, because he had taken us out to like this summer home. He, had his, he was a French man and he brought his family to live with him there. Yeah. And they were actually away um, at that time, like just for a few weeks. But he had been talking about how stressed he was and was chain smoking the whole time. And um, you could see that anyway. He ends up dying of a heart attack. And then I remember kind of thinking, okay, we ought to chill with his team. And then somebody I worked with, uh, you know, I was a junior accountant at the time, said, no, 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 we need to go back and finish this. And I remember in the middle of that interview, this woman crying and knowing in that moment that I'm going to stand up. Yeah. for myself number one because I died of a heart attack right. and then two it was so disrespectful and the way that we approached you know being in another country because I just don't think that would have happened in America mm. and to see how we were willing to discard somebody's grief and the fact that they were even at work the next day I remember just kind of thinking about who I want to be as I represent this, this, this company in this way so 
and it and it shapes it sh- it's shaped me as a traveler and as um as who I, and who I choose to show up at work as. So as a traveler, what inspires you to travel? Like, what's that one thing, or what are the sets of things that you look for when you go to different places? When I plan a trip, most it's around what I'm going to get to eat. <laughs> and then, <laughs> I mean, I'm a, I'm a I'm a foodie and then a traveler. <laughs> So I'm like, I find I play my places around that. But really, I don't actually look, I say yes. You ask me where to go, I'm gonna say yes. And I don't really have a lot of parameters around why I will say yes, because for me it's really about like humanity. Gotcha. Right. Getting in touch with humanity, meeting people, seeing that we're all the same in so many different ways. Um, you know, what is fun, you know, is fun. It might look a little different. It might be a little substance fueled in some places, but you know, like we're, it just reminds us that humanity, like we really are connected. And that's, that's what I love about it is I used to do this thing where I would just talk to the taxi driver about, you know, like his, his view uh-huh. and every country just kind of get a quick, you know, that felt like that was the most honest place right. to get a perspective. And, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of people are like, I don't care about this or that because I, I just need to be able to take care of my family. And how much they care about this or that is actually fueled by if they can take care of their family. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that that's kind of <laughs> the human part of it all. Oh, that's nice. So you mentioned that you are pretty much open to going, but do you? still have a bucket list or do you have like a list of places you're like these are some places i need to hit before i croak yes i do to be honest i had a bucket list <laughs> and i went to every place on it until we got to morocco oh wow the morocco was the last place of my original bucket list oh. and so now i've created i need to create a new bucket list like i just i haven't had the, the inspiration to do another one, but i do not need to go to the Maldives. Let's make that happen. Yeah. Gotcha. Right. We need to do the Maldives. So what's been your most memorable trip? There are two trips that I call my favorites. Um, the first one was I did this like trip through Greece. It was a tour. So I started off in Greece and went down to um, Mykonos and then to Santorini. And it was just fun. I was with good people I was young and could drink every night, wake up and drink some more. And I mean, we just had fun. Like during the day, we would do tours and, uh, you know, do things that were somewhat educational. But then at night, we just kicked it. And it was just such a good time and met so many different people. Just fun. I just had unadulterated fun in Greece. And then... um, the next trip on this, or the most meaningful, was probably whenever I went to Ethiopia. And at this point, I had probably been to over 50 international cities. I traveled a lot for work, um, and it was to amazing places. And I started to feel like I was trading, like there was a trade-off involved. Explain <laughs> where I got to do these wonderful things and and I'd be somewhere two to three. I was in a different country every month for like two to three weeks at a time. Mm-hmm. Come along for a couple of weeks, you know, turn it over and get back on and then boom, I'm in another country. Right. So I'm doing this and I'm not able to meet people. Uh, you know, like if I met a guy romantically. So let's, let's take that back a little bit. So <laughs> your first trip, you you're trying so if i understand what you're saying as as things progressed right you're really, really able to move around like you did your first trip no i mean like at home oh holding okay at home. okay yeah sorry when i would be back home okay gotcha i wasn't able to make so connections at home so you're trading your, your personal life yes for your travel yes it's one and the same to an extent, but being able to make a genuine connection. Now, I'm going to actually ask a question behind that. Do you feel as though that some of the men you were meeting were intimidated by your world travels? Absolutely. I mean, so there's this one. I think there was some intimidation about the world travels because 
no matter what stage you're at in a career, if you are jet setting, you sound fancy as hell. <laughs> well, and they didn't know it. I'm jet setting on corporate dime. Right. And which is different from regular jet. Right. So, yeah, but I am, but I'm not so spending my day working just like you're spending your day working. Right. When make it about the same paycheck, mm-hmm. I'm not going to have to spend mine as much because I'm gone. Right. But, you know, so it just feels like I'm fancy, yeah, you know. Right. Um, and then there's just the aspect of out of sight, out of mind. Mm-hmm. And then there's, you know, somebody else who's room to be there all the time. And then I think it's also, you know, that conversation about expectations of a female partner. Mm-hmm. You know, I used to jokingly say, you know, either I would be a millionaire or whatever. I was like, if I had a wife at home, <laughs> I would, like my climb up the ladder would have been so much faster if I, somebody was there to take care of my laundry and my bed, like, you know, because all the men I worked with had, would have wives at home who took care of everything. And I was always like, if I had a wife at home, this would be so much easier. But it's just very different. And so I started to feel like there was a trade-off. Um, uh, in my, and like you said, it, it began to feel like Personal life or fantasy life. Ooh. Right. And and it even began to actually manifest itself that way, where airports are kind of a haven for me. Like, I don't care if a flight gets delayed. I'm like super chill. You know, pull out my laptop, go to the lounge, you meet somebody, somebody will buy me drinks. Next thing you know, I'm having a party in the bar. Like, I can do an airport all day. <laughs> And have a great time. And then because there's something about for me, like walking in, in the airport is automatic. Like, okay, everybody's off of my bat. Mm-hmm. I'm about to be on this plane. You can't reach me for eight hours. You can leave. So it became like a place of kind of a refuge. Wow. And so I still have that. Like when I sit down in the seat and I click my button, it's like, I can process things. I can think, you know, like it's, you know, it still has that like Pavlovian, mm-hmm. you know, that I still have that same Pavlovian effect. So it was very much like fantasy world. Cause then I come home, I've got a, a mailbox filled with bills and I'm sitting there going through, you know, cause look, I, I you know, I'm in my forties. So we were still getting paper mail. So it's like all of this stuff is still coming. And, you know, so it just was stressful in a way. So it began to feel like a trade off between like, am I going to keep, Hiding out in Wonderland. Mm. Or am I gonna, you know, get real? But you're not hiding out in a sense, right? Because it, it sounds like you went into a career that requires a lot of attention to detail. Um, and not only do you require attention to detail, the different countries that you guys are doing business with require attention to detail, especially in African nations, unfortunately. Yeah. Right. And so I don't think you're necessarily going into fantasy land. It's you're going where you can find peace. Yeah. Right. Because I think a lot, and you know, once again, mental health is becoming a more accepted conversation to be had. Shout out to getting the cheese back on my cracker. Teaching Paige Benjamin and Ashley Nicole. Um, but I think a lot of times people aren't um acknowledging that like your jet setting is not necessarily jet setting. It's all right. I have like you even said it, for that eight hours I have peace. Right. And even sometimes we don't realize it. Like we realize we're just going on another trip, but it's not till we start to um, take inventory of how was I feeling, what was going on prior to me getting prior to you clicking that belt buckle. It was like, like you said, you had a you had a lot of monkeys on your back. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's not until you are able to, from the moment you go through security gates to the moment you check into your hotel, that's all you. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, once again, the pressures that you just mentioned, the pressures of having to find a mate, like societal pressures of having to find a mate, parental pressures of having to find a mate. You are a mate. Was it a maiden? If you don't have. They would have literally bought slaughtering brain goats. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's one of those things where, you know, I think a lot of times we we allow you know, the outside pressures to kind of label our peaceful time. Yeah. And so I, I really, really I interject yeah. that just to say like, you know, you weren't in La La Land. I could tell you some people that's in La La Land, but you know, you were fighting peace and your peace, like you even said it, like I find refuge at an airport. Like, I don't know. I actually like the airport. It's <laughs> one of those 
one of those places where you can find someone from almost anywhere. And it's a new experience every time you go to the airport. And you don't, it's, I mean, you probably run against, run across the same flight attendants or some of the same, you know, ticket attendants. But every time I go, because it's not as frequent, there's a new person to talk to. There's a new person to meet. Um, and so, yeah, it's just, it's definitely an experience being at the airport and you probably navigated it better than the most, right? Being able to find the lounges and listen, lounge access is only available to me within the last couple of years. So, you know, I'm more appreciative of the lounges because now I get to bring people up with to the lounges, right? Um, so so yeah, so I I just wanted to kind of interject and be like, you know, um, you weren't in Wonderland, right? You were in in your peaceful place. A lot of people, it's meditation that takes them there, but you have a physical place that brought you joy, peace, and and harmony. It really did. It really did. Yeah. So it really did. I I so we were on the tales of you talking about Ethiopia. So my apologies. Yeah. So and so Ethiopia. Ethiopia. Yeah. Right. So. I started to complain about having this. And I was like, oh, I can go to Indonesia again. And I decided to sound like a real jerk, right? <laughs> and so I get there. And number one, um, it's an African country. The project there was led by the British. And, you know, we first walk in and we're not in Addis, okay? We are in the valley. Where internet is, you were still getting it at an internet cafe. Gotcha. Like even when we came into the offices, we had to have somebody bring us special dongles, et cetera, there, so we could even get internet. Um, like you looked out the window and, you know, dude was walking down the street with the chickens hanging out, you know. So like it was a very rural place. And... Uh, these Brits are, and, and you know, Ethiopia had not been colonized. Right. So then there was like, you know, this conversation that I'm hearing around the lines of this Ethiopian construction. And I'm like, wait, what? Because, you know, like a window might have slammed shut. Right. Something stupid. Yeah. You know, and then it, what they kind of kept wanting to allude to was. Savages. Yeah, since we didn't colonize them. Right. Anyway, that was happening. And then I am the lead of the team at this point, a black woman with an African name. Mm-hmm. And I have a couple of young white boys who work with me. Mm-hmm. And then like my, my, my core team is also um, was predominantly minority. And these guys, they literally walk straight to the junior who live on the team, walk right past me. And then started talking to the, you know, the junior guy on the team. And I was like, now that's interesting. So we have that moment. And then I meet the women in the office. And, you know, they're kind of like, so I can only imagine what they are dealing with. If I dealt with it as somebody who has been sent from corporate within the first like 10 minutes, right? So anyhow... Um, as we're getting everything corrected, of course, that then, you know, involves a display of, excuse me, sir, this is what I need, da-da-da-da-da, I'm not playing with you, da-da-da-da-da, you know, all of that has to now happen. And these women are kind of watching it. Mm. And so um, the first day I eat lunch with the team, and I think I'm going to die, it's horrific. (laughs) And, you know, the women in the office are seeing me, like, gag through this. And then the next day, one of them says, hey, we'd like for you to um, come with us for lunch. I said, okay. So she invites me into her home. Mm. And then she has her younger sister perform a coffee ceremony. And where they are actually roasting the coffee beans for me right there. Oh, wow. And then, like, they lay out the leaves. And, you know, if you've ever been fortunate enough to do this, Google it, look it up. But, like, I get this you know, very informal coffee ceremony that her sister does for me. And then she brings out like a tray of all of like lentils and nuts or all of these things to eat with, um, my goodness, what's the name of the bread? Just jumped out of my head on. And no, um, ah, oh my gosh. We have to look this up because it's going to drive me nuts. Um, look it up. The bread. 
the bread. Right. But it's a very special bread. And it's like fermented and <sighs> I can't believe I don't remember the name of it. I've been watched yeah. it. But anyway, so like eating this bread with this, it was so incredible. The meal was so good. And mm-hmm. after that, I was like, I'm hanging out with you from here on out. Right. And, uh, you know, she ended up reaching out to me like that weekend while we were there and invited me to like this four-year-old birthday party. And the four-year-old birthday party was this giant affair. Everybody was there. Wow. And then from there, we ended up going out at night and we were like doing the dances. And, and then like the next day or right before I leave, she and her girlfriend arranged a whole Ethiopian photo shoot for me. Oh, snips. And so it was just like, then I got to like take that home and she gifted me with this cross. And it was just one of these moments when I realized this is why I travel, mm. you know, and this is why this is my blessing. And to be in a place and to get so connected to someone and to... Have them just pull you in, no, no. you know, and, and give me their home. It was just so incredible. And that's, that is what travel was about. And like, it, I needed Ethiopia to remind me of my blessing that I've been able to see so much of the world. It, it sounds like, you know, part of what you're always not, not actively looking for, but when you travel, it's what, what can be home. Right. Because from the first to not like from your first story to the Congo to now, the women in the Congo made you feel at home. They right. made you feel part of a community. And the women in Ethiopia took you in mm-hmm. literally to their home. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I would assume that the places you felt the least at home were probably your least um, favorite locations to visit. Absolutely. And so being able to tie that and the fact that travel is about wellness for you, right? A physical location can provide you that wellness that you're always looking for. And so that's super dope. Yeah. So you mentioned Morocco was on your bucket list and you attended Full Voyage 22. Now, when Voyage 22 was initially presented to you, how was it presented? Because there's a story behind it, right? It was, the initial story was, hey, we're going to Marrakesh. Uh, let's go. And then I, I know a bunch of y'all just jumped at it. But I was like, hey, we need to tell people this is a wedding. So which story did you get when it was introduced to you? So I was um, in story A. Mm-hmm. Hey, we're going to Marrakesh. What about going? I was like, I didn't even think she finished the sentence. And then I was on the, I, online already. Like, I was, I've been looking for the great excuse. So it was so perfect. I was just, you know, thankful that this friendship led to a trip to Morocco. That was just how I felt. <laughs> and so leading up to the trip, right? So, you know, were you one in a few and, you know, not to be in your pockets, but were you one in a few that was like, all right, we're going to pay this off right away and let's go? Or were you... You know, was there planning involved in making sure that the trip was a reality for you? Yes and no. Like, I was fortunate to be able to be like, so everything that needed to be paid immediately, I pretty much paid that immediately. And then I was late on everything else. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) No, let's let's, let's talk about that, right? Because, all right, so we have the hotels and the flights. Yes. Right? And then the excursions. Yes. Right? So luckily the excursions came at a point where we had it set so that like everybody can pay those. So you were good, right? So, so what, because the, your forensic financial forensic accounting, right? You know, how important is, you know, budgeting and finance as it relates to kind of preparing for trips or going on a trip? Well, for me, because travel is a priority, I, always have room to make it happen. Okay. Like, I actually kind of realize sometimes whenever I think about, like, I've been challenged in the ways that I've spent money. I've been called cheap. John <laughs> <laughs> was not known that well. And, and I'm like, because it'll be certain things, like, you know, I know I was with a group of friends and they wanted to host a party for Juneteenth. And I'm like, oh, 
oh yeah, this is great. I'm all in. And then they're like, okay, so what? A thousand dollars? I'm like, I pay a thousand dollars out? Like, no. I mean, <laughs> so, I mean, and, and they were like, what are you talking about? You have it. And I'm, I'm like, no, I have a thousand dollars to go to Morocco. Mm-hmm. I have a thousand dollars to parties for some people I may or may not know, you know? I mean, so it's, it's, I just prioritize the way I spend my money very differently. I love cheap clothes, you know, with a cute bag or something like that. Because, I mean, in the end, I want to be able to do those things freely. So I definitely um, kind of save money in other areas. And then travel is why why destroy crushing. I don't blame you. I do just I have a travel. I have an entire account only for travel. Work. Yeah. And when a trip comes up. Let's go. Yeah. No hesitation. Every credit card is designed to make travel easier. Exactly. <laughs> that's that's Wait. Chico. So, so that's that's actually a question I wanted to ask you was like, so I learned um, early on when I was traveling for work, get every rewards program possible. Absolutely. Um, you know, my credit wasn't that great, so I couldn't get every card. But if you got a card, get a points versus um, cash back. Because you can always convert those into miles, into whatever it is. Yeah. Like, how important was it for you? When did you realize that was a thing that you can do? Even with corporate travel, you can use your your membership. Yeah, so it was probably, it was, I was, I'd been traveling, hmm. it wasn't the first round. I'd probably been traveling pretty consistently for about five years before I started to really get that I'm leaving money on the table. And it came with kind of watching the way one of my coworkers would um, accidentally use his travel credit card <laughs> <laughs> to get certain meals. And, uh, you know, and I'm like, it's like he, he was the one who actually told me it was um, the United Presidential Plus card at the time. Um, Continental. He's Continental Presidential Plus at the time. And I remember like watching this, you know, how he kind of moved with that card. And then I finally decided to get one and it was nuts. Like, you know, all the benefits and everything. So that was um, when I learned, you know, this is to to get the priority from it. But the first time I guess I ever actually like cashed in was that we had Amex for work and I think I bought a new computer for one of my cousins in Nigeria with my Amex points. And so I was like, okay, you know, it adds up to something, yeah. you know. So that was when I really started kind of paying attention. And then it just took off from there. Yeah. Every, and then like then that Chase Sapphire card, I, you know, we need to blur, blur this. Let's so, get a check. Yeah. So we can, <laughs> uh-huh. or send me a hundred thousand points. <laughs> but so, so that kind of takes me to the next questions that I have is about getting to Africa, right? Like from here to Africa. I know for some of us, our flights got canceled because of the connecting flight. What was that like for you? I mean, I am the most nonchalant traveler you'll ever meet. It'll frustrate you if you are a planner and you need things buttoned up. Mm-hmm. I mean, our flight was canceled and I was like, yeah, I saw that. <laughs> I, you know what? I'm not in London. I saw it too. I was like, they're going to reschedule it for me. It's going to get back. And then they never got rescheduled. And they get finished. <laughs> okay. So, how long did it take you to realize, not to realize, but how long did it take you to be like, okay, maybe something else? Yeah, it was actually um, when. Can, can I, I don't know how much of your business. Yeah, so it was whenever we were visiting your new house. And um, Jackie, not your wife, Jackie HD was like, where are, you, where are you flying through? And I think I was just trying to, at this point, I, when I rebooked my return trip, I had like did it to where I was going to have like 10 flights so I could get as many flights. Because <laughs> there's also like the strategizing for so that or Yes, that's cool. <laughs> what she's putting y'all game to is, right? So... My wife doesn't like connecting flights. So her flight was direct as as direct as possible. Uh, I think it was New York to Casablanca, Casablanca to Marrakesh. I was trying like I was trying to do a multi-connecting flight like she did, but I had my dad with me. So it was like mm-hmm. you have to be mindful of that. But otherwise, listen, I'll do as many connecting flights as possible because those 
those segments add up to more status. And so the more segments you take, the more, listen, I was just talking to um, another guest and I was like, he's like, um, he wants to go to Thailand. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, look, if you go to Thailand, might as well stop in London, might as well stop in, you know, France, you know, might as well stop in, you know, Kenya, like do a couple of stops before you get there because, you know, you're, how many times are you going to go back that direction? Right. And right now, COVID blessing, they have reduced the requirements to reach different status levels. So I'm actually aiming for platinum this year. Yes. Because it's, it's, I mean, like, I, <laughs> so I'm like, so can I do this in 10 flights? Like, you're probably <laughs> Because then that'll give it a gold real quick. No, so right now they have like slightly reduced requirements. So I'm trying to get the platinum this year. But when I listened to um, Travel Tuesday with you and your wife, mm-hmm. you guys were talking about traveling with your parents. Right. And that inspired me to bring my mom to Morocco. And Mom Dukes, listen, Mom Dukes, we love you. Um, I didn't know she was going to do all of that, have you in the desert all crazy like, but I hope you enjoyed it. Look, Mom Deuce is on camel. She loved it. Mom Deuce, uh, did she end up um, sandboarding? No, she did not sandboarding. <laughs> she was with what they call the shits, and so um, it was definitely an amazing. It was, it was. But, or rather, and because she was with us, I went ahead and did a normal flight back. Gosh. Um, Jackie sat me down and was like, Get your flight. So I did. <laughs> and we and we booked it, you know, just one one layover and Okay. She sounded a little disappointed, but you got to see we won't get to that part. Yes. Um, so hitting your bucket list location. Like what was that experience like making it to Marrakesh? Man, you know, the thing was, so one, Marrakesh in and of itself was just amazing. Um, but the idea that we could see all of Morocco, which I, I, I'm going to let you lead us into Morocco. So, I mean, but for me, really, honestly, um, the food. I, just, I, I mean, it was like, one, being able to be there, obviously, like, for this very special moment right. to celebrate love. Um, and then to celebrate love with people who loved the couple. And so it was like, there's just that undercurrent that, you know, this is already going to just jump off from the best place. Then to have a whole group of black people be there and to travel with people I love. So a lot of my travel, you know, was, was with coworkers. And mind you, I had some great teens, et cetera, but we would literally be at places looking at some gorgeous view and then say, I wish I was here with somebody I love. You know? <laughs> So to be able to do that with right. people I love, right, right. like to be able to see the world, you know, through their eyes. Right. That's definitely you know? a trade-off when you travel for work. It's like, you know, you go places like me seeing the Golden Gate Bridge for the first time. I'm like, oh, it'd be, it'd be cool for somebody to be here. Do that at us. Like, this could be a moment. Right, right. So, and so. I had moments in America. Got there. Yeah. Um. The first official day, not the like landing day, but the first first official day, you guys went to the Medina. Yes. What were your thoughts around the Medina? Because that can be overwhelming for a lot of people. So Medina was just real classic. I, I've experienced that to a degree before. In, in Egypt, and in a lot of places, right? Like the Medina is like a, an empanada or a meat meat pie or. <laughs> Like everybody has one in a different language. <laughs> a meat patty, or, you know, like everybody has one, right? And so whether it's the souk or in the market, like in Nigeria, or you know, like there's always that 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 square where real life happens and people are meeting to, you know, this this happens. It's available in a lot of different places. I shouldn't say everybody has one. Um, well, I think everybody has one. Look, we got it in Chinatown. Um, so it's like, <laughs> there's a place where you, you get to haggle. And it's also not encompassed <laughs> by a labyrinth of a city. And that is true. That's where, <laughs> that's where it gets a little it's tricky because if you go in the wrong alley or the wrong street, you end up somewhere far from where On the wrong street. corner, right. Right. But um, that, that aspect of it was cool. I also was very, I remember thinking, 
And it's been a while since I traveled like that, so I do. But I remember telling my mom, don't buy anything yet. <laughs> You'll be back. Yeah, we'll be back. We'll haggle and or whenever we get into like, because, you know, we were going to do this extension. I was like, when we get further away from the city city, you know, we'll, we'll be able to like relook at some of this stuff. So, I mean, like the Medina was, you know, I loved watching that experience just, mm -hmm. you know, of, of knowing that that energy of the, the energy of the Medina, the energy of the market. Nice, nice. Yeah. So later that evening, we had an amazing cocktail hour and dinner. Tell us about that. Oh, my God. I actually just looked at those pictures again last night, and I sent my mom some of them. But it was just beautiful. Number one, I just think I love a good thing, and obviously your wife does too. <laughs> and so I'm like, just tell me what the theme is. So, like, to get there and, one, to see the way that everybody just leaned into the thing. You know, and then in doing so, all of these beautiful colors and just seeing how good everybody looked. Everybody just looked so good. And then just the fun, like, you know, because there was like, you know, when we were out there having dancing and kicking it, watching everybody like kind of towards the end of the night, you know, those people who don't know how to go home and they just sitting up there having a good time and, and, the, and the party just kept going. It was just kind of dope to see, you know, everybody as they just kind of kept loosening up and even though it was this really fancy, formal type of affair, you know, black people know how to have a good time. Yeah. So we could be buttoned all the way up and have all and have a good time all the way through. And so the dinner table. Tell me tell me about this dinner table. That dinner table was first of all, the dinner table was long. Mm. And what I saw just kind of standing at the end, I remember walking down and just standing at one end and seeing how long it was and commending you guys for bringing this many people to Africa for, for I'm sure, the first time for the vast majority. Never mind how many people were, it was the first time getting out of the country. And then just to get people to come this far to celebrate your life, like, I mean, it was a long table. And I just thought the length of the table said a lot, right? And then just the decorations, you know, I, the thing that all, that con that consistently struck me was how beautiful it was and how simple it was, right? Like it was the branches and then just the trees and then the lights. And it was very simple and natural and absolutely gorgeous. It was just beautiful. And and the the dancing you're talking about was in the owner's house. Oh yeah, right? she yeah. let us. So yeah, the owner of uh, Janan Tamsla, I'm saying that correctly, right? Um, uh, she let us celebrate the reception of that dinner in her home, and she has a quarter that's just open, mm -hmm. and it was like it was like we were outside but inside at the same time. Yeah, and um. It was it was definitely a dope vibe. Like, it was, you know, chilling, and we brought in DJ Reg, hooked up the music alongside one of the local DJs. Um, but yeah, that definitely was a dope experience. I mean, people wouldn't leave. Like uh, Wanda, you next. Um, uh, Wanda was in and out. She was like, "All right, I'm going home," and the next thing you know, she's on the dance floor again, and so our little escorting her home. Um, and so that night's over, you know. It was sunglasses in Advil the next day. Yeah, because we had a good time. I have video of us walking, just walking over and over. <laughs> Proud of our outfits and stuff. <laughs> sunglasses in Advil the next day up until 1 o'clock. And then we got the beautiful wife coming up to the area. Like, what, what was that feeling like, the energy like in that space? And then, you know, go into like, you know, kind of, you know, my freestyle off the dull vows. You know what I'm saying? Woo woo. And uh, <laughs> uh, just just tell people like, what well, was that an experience like? Well, you know, it was so cool because we kind of talked about this at your wedding. Like, I feel like I have a kind of slightly different view mm -hmm. of the two of you because I've only known you as a couple together. And so... Well, for me, you know, I, I'm obviously happy to be there and be a part of it. 
Um, I think that you two are an amazing couple, just two powerhouses who beautifully complement each other. <laughs> but, or rather, and um, those who have known either of you longer, um, there was so much anticipation about um, like the finale, so to speak, which is also just the beginning, but um, or the finale of those particular chapters for you. And so what was just like, you could feel it like mm -hmm. that. Um, I don't even have the word for it, but like to hear like the way people were crying, you know, and that like that, and I know this feeling because I've had it before for my best friend where you're crying throughout the entire wedding and it's just like profound happiness and love and, you know, knowing that you are turning your friend over to um, to someone that they trust, you know. And so, um, you know, just kind of being able to be on the outside looking in while being inside of that was really quite beautiful, like, you know, and, and it was on both sides. Like, your dudes were the same way in terms of, you know, like, we've been here. We know, you know. And so it's just, that was like, you could feel it. You could just literally feel that energy of love and support and, you know, that, that carrying. Uh, like, th this community is hugging you. Right, right. And, and, and then, like, even... I'm sorry. No, no, no. So it's like even like with the with with the um the officiant. Right, right. Right. And and Claudius and just in your vows, like the request was actually made, right? And and but it was already I don't it did I don't it didn't need to be requested and you could feel that. Okay. Like, you know, you all were being hugged by your family and you know, we took these vows. That's how it very much felt. Like we took these vows. Awesome, awesome. And and the one thing that I I do, um, you know, Jackie likes to volunteer people things a lot. But she did ask out to hold us. Absolutely. You know, and that's that's the biggest thing. Like the people that were there, we know. Hopefully, will always be willing to pull out coattails. Um, tell us when we're right and when we're wrong. Absolutely. Um, and you guys are our village, right? And I think a lot of the times people don't realize that um, your village doesn't have to be huge. It's, it's just the people that are there that can be reliable and dependable enough. Um, and who always want the best for you. Exactly. Um, so I'm going to move, move forward a little bit. So the wedding happens. Then, you know, a couple of days later, you are extending your trip. Yes. Let's talk about that. Because I've seen you guys had, you, no, number one, shout out to Saheed. Shout out to Stella Travels. Um, Y'all did your thing. Saheed, you are the real MVP. We would be lost literally without you. Um, so let's talk about like this extension. Cause like, you know, um, I actually like the fact that Sahi came to the airport with the Stella travels waiting for us, you know, taking photos of the first groups to come in and everything. And then navigating 50 plus people in and out the Medina, in and out the YSL. And we didn't even talk about the Hamam, how they were able to like, let's talk about this Hamam real quick before we continue. <laughs> I use my hamam hand mitt today. <laughs> Let's talk about this hamam because, like, I felt some type of way that the last time I was there, I didn't get a chance to experience the hamam. And so this time around, I'm like, look, I need to go to the hamam by all means necessary. And I even brought my dad. Yo, my dad literally fell asleep during hamam. Yeah, so did I. So what was that like? If you can, like, talk about that experience, what was that like for you? Okay, so there's a few different levels, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, number one, I was like, this is just so fancy. And I just felt so fancy. I was like, I'm so fancy. I don't even have to wash my own ass today. Like, that's how I felt about this. Like, just the idea of it, okay? And literally, they want everything. So, I mean, there's a point where you're like, how far are they? Going? Am I okay with 
well, well, you know, we're just clean now. So <laughs> we have to just move on. And it was just like incredible, like that kind of the luxuriousness of that whole thing. And then we got a massage and it's like you're just feeling steamed and cleaned and relaxed. And I honestly feel like that's something you should do anytime you travel someplace to a distance. Just go and relax and get cleaned and massaged and fetched. Mm -hmm. Actually, I should do that this weekend. Okay, so she's going to find her, her mom in the city somewhere <laughs> and, and enjoy herself. So I, I kind of backtracked, but I'm going to move forward again. Um this extension of your trip. Like, once again, shout out to Stella Saheed. Like, glamping in the desert. Then you're traveling from the Sahara to Fez to Casablanca. We literally went from the west to the east, all the way back to the west. Like, we, we transversed all of Morocco from east to west. And in doing so, hit all of the major cities. And what I said about Saeed is he, he treated us like royalty while treating us like family. It was while making us feel like family. Right, right. You know, it, it really, and I was like, and that's an interesting balance. Like, you know, one, to make sure we were up on time. And, and, <laughs> and, and like, we were at one point, we're negotiating, like, man, you know, how about we just sleep till nine today? You know, but, um, and then... I mean, the glamping in the desert, the, you know, whatever they could do, they did. Um, you know, being able to see the parts of Morocco that are not necessarily seen. And, you know, for me, if you know me, I obviously kind of ended up tapping into some of, like, the social stuff that was underneath, you know, and... and and like having a conversation about, okay, wait a minute, Berbers versus the Arabs versus, you know, so that was interesting. Um, anytime I go to a country, I always learn how to say thank you in their language. And so um, I had gotten practiced in saying shukran, which is thank you in, in Arabic. <clears throat> and then I remember saying shukran whenever we uh, went further, further well, further south and east. Mm -hmm. And the guy, and it was interesting because I, I, I noticed him, I said, Shukran, and he kind of like nodded. And then he kind of backed away. And then he came back and he says, here you can say, um, Tanmet, forgive me my pronunciation. And I was like, okay, so Tanmet. And he, but just in that, I knew that there was something there, right, right about, you know, the, the language, you know, where I need to say thank you. And so it was just kind of interesting kind of, you know, tapping into that. And then I ended up just asking Saeed straight up, like, you know, tell me a little bit more about this. And he and and what was also incredible is just the, the our tour guide also is very active in giving back to the nomad community. And um, that that is really very specifically, you know, a way to support people. And, and you know, having that understanding that there are some. Yeah, well, similarities. You know, we are not uh, the only oppressed people in the world. And it might not quite look the same, but it's still out there. And, and I love the opportunity to be able to impact it in another land. So what was your favorite city to visit in that span? Because you guys did an extra five days. Yeah, so it was an extra five days. We traveled one day, like, all the way. I don't even, I don't even remember. Everything was kind of merging together. But we ended up going out into the desert. We glamped in the desert. I mean, you know, mountains, sand dunes, all of that around. Um, but the the glamping was probably the best. I mean, it was like the one, like you drive up, then you get on your camel, right? <laughs> and then they walk you through, like, and, and it was funny because my mom was like on the lead camel. And you're up here and you just... You know, walking along and 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 it's it's not an uncomfortable ride, but it's not an easy ride. But hell, you're riding a camel. I mean, I don't know what I would have expected. So then we get there and they've got these solar energy things, which is like, oh, that's kind of cool. Of course they do. And then you know they take you in and just the the neighborhood, so to speak, the tent area. So they've got these tents lined up, one dining hall, 
And it was just gorgeous. The rooms were gorgeous. The water pressure, everything. Like, it was just great. It was a great experience. And then the food was good. Wonderful entertainment. They had these Sudanese entertainers come up because, you know, as we were closer to the desert, um, we were closer to, I guess, really the Saharan. So now we're getting to maybe move just beyond that. And you're starting to see more darker people, sub-Saharan African. And so in that space, like, you know, having them come and share some of their culture and music with us and the, the food. <laughs> and then, like, you know, so we traveled to Fez, and that was, a, a, look, the food. And when we were on Fez, like, that was the place. It was so amazing, the, 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 the Riyadh that we stayed at. The woman there prepared whatever you requested that night. And it was, she, and, like, we were like, oh, this food was made with love. Like, if you made a request, you were going to get it, and it was going to taste so good. She's in there. You can see her cooking in the kitchen. I mean, just every day when we would come back, we were just in that place. We stayed there a couple of nights. We were just excited about whatever she was going to make the next day. Like, it was, oh, it was so nice. Um, And again, just one of those places where you get this luxurious surrounding, and it's not opulent. I don't know. You know, it's like... You have all of these right things where the furnishings are plush and beautiful, but it's not like overly over the top. So it still feels very homey and, but gorgeous, but rather am gorgeous. So um, that, Fez was incredible. Um, Casablanca, I think I could do again. Uh, Maybe not during Ramadan. I think Casablanca was the only place where I felt like being there during Ramadan impacted your experience. The experience. Mm, okay. Did you want to go back home? And probably by then I did actually. I mean, yeah, I, I mean. Not, no offense to Casablanca. Yes, no offense to Casablanca. Up during Ramadan is probably everything is shut down. Yeah. Can't really do much. Like nightlife is probably not what. Yes. But I mean, we did make it to Rick's where we did find another group of um, black travelers, beautiful women. Um, they were there, I think, for a friend's birthday or something. But, you know, it was nice to see, you know, see us again. You're like, look, I see that skin and I hear that accent. So um, it was that was it was amazing. Though I mean, the whole trip, by the time we got there, we were like, look, let's just relax. Take our time. We've seen everything there is. And, you know, this was a trip of a lifetime. Mm. So as as well-traveled as you are, um, you mentioned earlier that during this one trip to Ethiopia, you were past Flynn Jr. Um, staff, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, do you find it that, that... Actually, I'm not going to ask that question. Um, what has your experience while travel while black been? It's interesting because... Because because you have you have two worlds right mm-hmm. you have that corporate travel yeah and you have the individual travel but sometimes and then you layer that on being African yeah. being African American right right like so it it's all very different right like so from the corporate space and then the traveling law black I think it's actually not that different right because the way a country tends to react to their women will be how the employees react to me as a woman, right? So in America, something like that could happen. Might not be as likely to happen, to be honest. Today or? Today and in general. But what would happen, it would be a subtle undermining. Well, they might recognize that I'm the lead there, but then there'll be a separate conversation that happens that though I don't know what I'm talking about. Now that's available. <laughs> um, the there's just no way if her happens in countries where there's just no way it would have been met. Right. You know, so it it really does kind of just depend on where I'm at. Um, and I think that's and it's layered because in some places, you know, like just because of the way I dress. I'm clearly very Western, right? So if I am appearing very Western, it's a little easier for me. Um, If I'm in a space and I'm appearing more African, 
you know, not as Western, and I'm wearing like native clothing, I'm treated slightly different and slightly different and in different places. And so there is, you know, there's, there's, um, and that's where I'm like, is it class? You know, that's where, I, that's kind of where I wonder. So I was, I was speaking to, um, Cecilia, um, during her interview, her ability to speak Spanish changed the trajectory of what her trips would be like. Mm. So for, from her perspective, being able to speak the language determines kind of the class in which you're in. So maybe seeing you in different like levels was what treated, what led them to treat you that different. Um, and so like overall, what would you say your experience has been like um, personal wise? You know, generally pretty positive. I don't take things personally um, because I, it, one, it would become too stressful to fight every battle. Two, it is pure ignorance, and it really has nothing to do with me.